Now, as you know, um, Christmas is a time where many Irish people return home to their families for the festive season. And Ireland, of course, has had many of its people emigrate to different parts of the world. And our next guest has lived and worked in America for over 13 years. And he's a native of Kiltannan, just outside Tulla. So we're delighted to welcome to the programme, Sean Halpin. How are you, Sean? Good to be here. Thank you very much now for for taking the time to be with us here on uh, Saturday Chronicle. Um, So you have lived and worked in in America um, as a quantity surveyor you're currently doing. Um, But before we get into your life in America and much more, talk to me about your your childhood and being raised in uh, Kiltannan outside Tulla. Kiltannan House, where you were born and raised in, has a huge amount of history as well. We'll get into that in a minute. It does, yeah. Um, Yes, I was born in Kiltannan, just outside Tulla, about two and a half miles outside Tulla. Um, my great, my granduncle, to, uh, all my granduncles and aunts went to America, and my granduncle uh, bought a hundred acres in Kiltannan in about 1927. I had two granduncles that were chauffeurs for President Taft. So, one died in World War One. James, he's buried in Tulla, but Tom came home in about 1927 or so and bought that piece of land, and ultimately that's where my father moved to, and that's where I was yeah. born and raised. But all those people that went before us, Dar as you know, and your grandfather and father, we're all from, our lineage goes back to Knock James and Darnley right. yeah. Clay. So that's still a very special place and it's a place that I go back to from time to time. And can and, and I mentioned there about Kiltannan House where you were born and raised in. Can you talk to me about the history of Kiltannan House for those that are that wouldn't be familiar with it? Yeah, well, of course, listen, there's nothing really left of the original Kiltannan House. Yeah. Even in my time, the big house, of course, was burned in about 1920 or so. Um, what was left in my time was the servants' apartment, and our house was the stable boys' apartment. Um, Pat Talty uh, had the good fortitude to renovate what was the home farm house, and he lived there for, for a good number of years and had his practice there. And we should be grateful to him for restoring that, that very fine building, which I think was built in about 1833 or so. Yeah, yeah, and I mean... Um, Kiltannan at the, Kiltannan House at the time it was it was it was um, the Maloney family used to live there and they were, I mean they, they gave great employment to the local area at the time. They did. I mean th- there's a long history of the Maloneys. I mean there was one of the Maloneys, an officer within the walls of Limerick at the siege of Limerick in 1690, and that's one of the reasons why they actually held their lands because there was a clause, I believe, in <clears throat> the Treaty of Limerick that allowed officers within the walls to hold on to their mm-hmm. holdings. But apart from that, I mean, there was two bishops of, of uh, Clare and Killaloo that came out of that household. Yeah. Uh, there was one of those bishops, a favourite at the, at the court of Louis XIV. Yeah. And when the house was burnt, there was a card table in the house that was probably more valuable than the house itself. I heard and, that, yeah. And that was yeah. the subject of a, a large insurance claim at the time. But yes, the Maloneys, listen, had a long and distinguished history in County Clare. And there were extensive landlords, but generally they would be regarded as, as good landlords. So you, you touched on it there. <clears throat> Kiltannan House was burnt in what year? I'd need to check my records now, but I mean, it, I think about 1920 or 21. I mean, it was yeah. a, a war of independence um, yeah. incident or, yeah, or yeah, yeah, happened yeah. around that time. Yeah. So I suppose moving on from that and from to your own personal point of view, um, <clears throat> you went to school in Knock James. I started in Knock James, yeah. yes, in Annie Corrie's little academy yeah. in there behind the church. Lovely um, little school at the time. It was, yeah. I mean, sure, Annie taught all classes and all years because it was a one-teacher school. But at the time, 
I think I just went there for probably maybe two months or something before the school closed and moved into Tulla. And Finton, your uncle, would have been started with me. That's right. And Harrison, who now lives here in, in Scariff. And, and Corrie, I'd say, as well. So we were the last four enrollees into that school and then I moved into Tulla, of course, as did Fort Anne and, I suppose, um, Mahar and... Yes. Drum Charlie, a number of yeah. other schools as well. So you went on to further education and all all that. So at what point did, did you say to yourself, right, I want to be a quantity surveyor? How did that all come about? Well, just by accident, really. Oh, OK. Yeah, because I was doing my leaving, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, had notions that maybe I'd, I'd like to be a civil engineer, but I didn't have honours maths, so that wasn't going to be practical. And I, I, I thank a man by the name of Sean Hine. He has come down from Dublin. He was related to the, the Doyles in Bodike, Leo and Liam. He was, I think, Ned Doyle was married to his sister. Right, and um, he was come to Tulla playing cards with my father and TJ Mack and Sean Harlan. And he said to me one night, he said, you know, would you think of being a quantity surveyor? Because he worked in Dublin with some big construction company. He was a buyer or something like that with them. And that just saw the seed and off I went. And, and, and ju- I'm just curious because um, we've I, I, I've heard of obviously a quantity surveyor, but... What's involved in, in the training purposes of it? Yeah, at the time I went to Moylish College, which was a very small, modest college compared to what's there now in terms of LIT or mm. Monster Technical, I'm not sure what yeah, the official is. Yeah. 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 Um, it has evolved a couple of t- name, different names over, over the years. But at, at the time, I mean, I mean the, the basic training for a quantity of air is measurement and valuation of building work. Yes certain amount of economics, law, obviously you need to be able to read and construct construction contracts, um, pricing, estimating, um, construction technology itself, that you understand the building process and procedure and everything else. So it's a very rounded um, profession and I'd encourage any boy or girl that's thinking of their CAO in, in the next month or two to actually consider it because there's a huge scarcity of... Is there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, in our office in New York, we have 30... Irish trained quantities of airs. Yeah. And if we could get ten more, we would. Yeah. You know. And, and is there a difference between quantity surveying in Ireland versus the States? Well, there's a difference in, in the practice and procedure mm. of um, tendering and bidding work and getting prices back in and levelling out your bids. In in the US there's much, much work more work done by the actual trade subcontractor, whether it's drywall or whoever. They actually get the set of drawings and measure and price out the work whereas traditionally here in Ireland I mean when I started out was bills of quantities I mean you could spend you know two months measuring a set of drawings to produce this bill of quantities um, that measured that measured every exact detail in a job now I haven't taken off a bill of quantities thankfully mm. in about 20 years so yeah. mm. and I'm not going to back to that anytime <laughs> soon so and are you based you're still based in New York are you? I am yeah yeah I am, yeah. yeah yeah so come here um, where did your career as a quantity severe start. You, meant, you mentioned about Waterford. I did, but before I went to Waterford, I mean, I qualified in 1988. And I mean, that time there was 16 of us finished in Limerick and 15 emigrated. I was the only wow. one that stayed here. Wow. And there was another class in Bolton Street in Dublin. They were probably something similar. And there was another class in Jordanstown, Ulster Poly. Um, they would have had a class in, they were the three classes in QSing in Ireland at the time. And in 1988, everybody emigrated. Mm. And I was fortunate I got a job at John Sisk's in Arthur's Key in Limerick, which is still there. I was in it yesterday. I was part of the car and was, you know, reminiscing. And I saw that from 
the ground up as a very good, yeah. junior yeah. quantities yeah. of air. Yeah. And I moved from there to um, Lynch's in Ennis, Mickey Lynch. A great time for Mickey Lynch. He was one of the old style builders. And um, then I got an opportunity to go to McInerney's in Waterford. I got an opportunity as their chief quantity And the surveyor. family, of course, is from Scarif here, isn't Yes, it? and I did particularly want to mention yes. them because they were great men. They were years ahead of their time, you know, and they certainly gave me a great opportunity because I was a very, very young chief QS. That was normally somebody in their late 30s or 40. I was probably 27 or 28 when I got the job, but um, been from Clare, certainly did, I'm sure, help. It was Joe McNamara was the MD at the time. Joe... Well, he was based in Waterford. Is originally from, I think, Clonlara Party in that area. Um, so, you know, I had a great career with them as Chief QS, and they made me director of the company as well, which was probably the most singular honour I've had in my career Very good. to date, you know. So when and why did you move to New York? Well, listen, I mean, in 2010, things were not good here. They hadn't been good in 08. They certainly weren't good in 09, and... 2010 didn't look, no they weren't so um, you know I just had had to go somewhere and earn a living you know it was as simple as that Um, and had you considered moving elsewhere besides America I briefly considered maybe Australia but I mean Australia is a long long way away it's a a hike to get there or get back so listen New York is the best of both worlds it's convenient I mean you can be home in, in fairly quick time. There's a great Irish community in there New is York. There is, of course, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. There is a really great Irish community in New York. And had you been in New York previously, before this? I'd visited, but I'd, I'd never I'd never worked outside Ireland yeah. Yeah. before I headed for the States. And what was that whole experience like? Well, listen, I mean, in part was devastating to be leaving Ireland because, you know, my everything that I'd worked at for probably 20 years yes. prior to that was in... in in disarray, it was um, it was certainly a difficult time. And listen, difficult to emigrate at, you know, I was 43, 44 at the time. I wasn't exactly a young fella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, I was much more fortunate than others because I know architects and engineers that emigrated, brought wives and families and went to Canada, went to Australia, went to, you know, places that mightn't have been normally thought of at the time. And, you know, they had to... Just do it because it was necessary. So did you manage to find a job easily enough in New York when you landed there? Listen, I did. I mean, I was fortunate because the company owner of J.T. Megan Construction uh, was somebody that went to college with me in in Moilish back in those days. Uh, And an opportunity came up and he called me and said, listen, do you want to come over and have a look at this? And I said, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you also, moving on, I suppose, a little bit uh, to sport. You have an, an interest in sport, and uh, I found out there only a couple of days ago that you were w- involved in the, the junior 1990 team for Tulla. <coughs> yes, that's my claim to fame. Yeah, and, and I was told that you were tough on the pitch. <laughs> well, I'm a tougher than me, I'm afraid, and, and bigger than me. <laughs> Talk to you about that. Well, listen, that was that was our night team of 1990. We had a nice little junior team in Tulla, Dennis Curry and goal. Jerry Lynch, Eugene Conlon, centre-back. We had a great bunch of lads. But that was our third year on the road trying to win a Junior B Championship. Yeah. Because the year before, I think, um, Broadford beat us. And the year before that, uh, was it Clooney or somebody beat us? So it was then or nothing, you know? Then or nothing, then or nothing. And he's still a sports player? <clears throat> no. 
I did. I did. Remember, I remember uh, seeing your photograph from the with the toilet team. Um, actually, this year was was, was great because I was tuned into Clare FM listening to Tommy Gilfoyle uh, doing the commentary on the Hearty Cup team in Tulla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would have been on the panel, not on the on the team, but on the panel that won an All Ireland B in yeah. 1981. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Tommy Valdonlin, um Marty Mack, all those lads, they were they were the key players in that. Mm. And sure, Jennifer, I had mentioned earlier about the Hearty Cup yes, team. Yeah, yeah. When they did win back in January of this year, I mean, it was a phenomenal achievement. Tuller were so proud. It, 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 was, it was unseen, yeah. unseen, yeah. you know. Um, but we were very lucky to get to that stage. So, I mean, you, you just touched on it there. It was very hard for Tuller to get to that. Yeah, because, I mean, even in our time, I, I did the following year, in 1982, after winning... Um, the, the B in 81, we played Colosh the Crease 3. Mm. But Colosh the Crease 3 that time had 650 boys in the school. Yeah. We had 65. Wow. Wow. Mm. You know, we were trying to make up a team out of, you know, third year, fourth year, and fifth year that time. Very young, very young, yeah. You know, so yeah. you, you had a whole mix of players. And, you know, we, we gave a good account of ourselves against Colosh the Crease 3. I think the beat is about four pi- five points, I think, mm-hmm. down in Hospital or Emily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You, you have an interesting history, and I mean, uh, we're, we're hoping to put out uh, what I'm speaking about uh, next week. Um, I did a program there in Knock James Church, and uh, we were commemorating the life of uh, Leo Mellows, who was involved in the the, 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 the rising. And uh, you have a connection to Leo Mellows, so would you like to, to talk to us about that briefly? Yeah, well, it's not a, a connection as such, but look, I have an his- interest in history generally, and I studied in, in New York and studied folklore and stuff like that as kind of a segue from my, my day job. And it, the, the Lee Mellows commemoration of two weeks ago kind of came about as, you know, the product of a conversation between myself and the late Michael Torpy, going back a few years ago, yeah. about 19, or 2016 or so. And a good friend of mine in New York wrote an article or paper on the Carmelite Order, and she highlighted to me the connection with Mellows and the violin and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I just thought this year... Because Mellows hadn't been really remembered in Knock James or Tulla, it might be opportune to use the, 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 the violin as the instrument, so to speak, of connecting a few strands together. One was that Mellows was kept in hiding in Knock James, which was no mean of feat for about five, between five and six months. And there was an RIC barracks about a mile down the road with five officers, a sergeant and four constables. So that was monumental to keep a man in hiding. Yeah. For that long, so you had, you had that. You had Sister Lelia McKenna, who was originally from Tulla. She uh, gave gave Mellows and and another person um, a nun's habit to escape out of the place. Yeah, I found that very interesting when yeah. I heard about it. Yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, her Patalty told me that her brother was a commandant in the old IRB. He was a priest back in Mullock, so Pat would have a history in that as yeah. well. So it wasn't just a, a once-off. And I mean, Sister Lelia went on to give great service in Ennis, and I think she was the founder of the Holy Family School that exists there, mm-hmm. um, I think, beside the Old Ground Hotel. So there was a few strands that came together. And, of course, Canuck McGuee is something that is very close to my heart, and Breda McNamara and her team over there have done extraordinary work over the last, I suppose, 11, 12 year, years now, because it's been, it's been that length of a journey to, yeah. 
to, to get said, it. Yeah. Mm. And can I just ask, how long how long do we have you with us then before you head back? Until tomorrow morning. Until tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what are the, I suppose, what have been the highlights for you from this trip? Oh, this trip. And listen, come here, it's always good. I mean, the, the main thing is get home to family and yeah. friends. I mean, my brother lives in Dublin with his wife, Marie, and my two nephews, Niall and Dara, so... Mm. I'm always anxious to catch up with them and the two boys play with Nafina, so mm. I always want to hear what Nafina are up to. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they, they live um, up in Glasnevin, so they've good neighbours and friends up there. Mm. Some Clare people live in there in the, in the vicinity as well, so always good to catch up with them as uh, well. Can I, just, can I just go back to the construction side of things before we let you go in a few minutes? Um, you've had experience, obviously, in that industry, so when I knew you were coming out, I wanted to ask you this question, if you can. Um... What do you think of the housing here in Ireland? They say we have a housing crisis. I don't know. Um, it's it's hard to know, really. So what do you think of, of that? God, how long have we got? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, listen, to, to sum it up, I mean, it is, a, is it, it is a crisis. It's a crisis of affordability. It's a crisis of ability to build in, in numbers. There's shortage of, of, of skilled labour and skills. Um... But I do think that if all the government agencies and the various other agencies put their heads together yeah. and treat it as a crisis, then you might get some, um, you, you will get results. And to go back to McInerney's, I mean, our thing at the time was we built houses that just people needed, three bed semis and four bed semis. That was our, our thing. I bumped into Father Harry there a couple of days ago, an extraordinary man and so far ahead of his time. Yeah. Father Harry built two and a half thousand houses wow. in 120 villages. I mean, he was decades ahead of his time. Extraordinary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, in terms of the material we're using to build houses, we know with climate change we have to change all that aspect. So, I mean, is it, what, what do you think of that? I mean, we, we've no chimneys now in new houses. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so... Listen, I mean, my view on these things, we can overthink and overplan and over consult and hold, you know, we, we have a crisis, you know, as if you sometimes if you were going to make that omelette, you need to break some eggs yeah. and, and just get through. Yeah, no, fair things, point. Yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I just, oh, sorry, Pat, no, you go first. No, I just, just uh, on, the, on the building. Um, it's very expensive now here. Um, you, you, you have made a bit of price for, the, for, for doing a big, a big job here now, the, 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 the violation that's in, 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 in pricing. And is, is that the same in, in the States now? It, it is. I mean, there was, there was periods of time there in New York. I mean, I operated during the, the, the entire shutdown and all that, but we still had a lot of jobs running because they were deemed to be essential. Mm-hmm. And yes, there were at times shortages of materials. That's, that's relaxed a little bit. Um, there are shortages of, of plant and equipment that, you know, a compressor unit or a chiller or whatever that you might have got previously in 14 weeks, mm-hmm. now you're being told, well, listen, you have yeah. to wait 40 weeks because yeah. the chips are being made in somewhere else and, you know, they, so, can't, they can't put all the So is housing together. more advanced in America in comparison to here? No, I don't think so. No. You think they have the same problem as us? I think there's, 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 there's almost a worldwide housing Right. issue right you know mm, yeah right. well, such an increase I, in population as well and yeah. like that we're, we're not matching 
the all of the supports and resources that you need for an increased population. Yeah. So whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, whether it's housing. So the problem is we can't keep up fast enough. Yes, but you've, you've huge violation in the world as well, where, where you've uh, an awful lot of refugees uh, teeming into into developed countries, and yes. you, have, you have that problem as well yeah. with housing. Where, one of the solutions that, that government and, and agencies need to grapple with is training mm. and development, mm. skill yeah. sets. Yeah. Mm. Train, you know, I mean, th- there's, there's a good living to be made out of a, of, of a trade. Yeah. Well, and also you know, to make it appealing. I think that it's the same. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, very often we, we see, you know, notable buildings that are they're knocked on TV or whatever because they ran over budget or whatever. Mm. But I mean, there's there's nobody peeling away the layers about how how this was engineered, yeah, how it was yeah, constructed, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, whether it's tunnels, bridges, or or civic structures. And I suppose mm-hmm. if we want houses to be built more and more and more, you know, you can't build houses without tradesmen. So like yeah. that, you mentioned it there. Is there a shortage? Is there a shortage in particular trade jobs? Well, look, at, I'm not living here, but I, I'm hearing the anecdotal evidence of course there is there is yeah. and yes. i mean the irish were always good builders yeah. mm. and when we emigrated we were good builders and i mean most of the subbies that i would deal with in new york in certain trades they're 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 all irish guys you know yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. but i think in, in recent years we have too much emphasis probably on 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 third level of education and maybe channeling everybody into 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 third level yeah to vocational when, when, training when, and training there yeah. could be uh, maybe a lot more basic training for for the likes of uh, black layers and carpenters and and actually, if you want to uh, promo or if you want to carpenter tomorrow, and you go to you can <coughs> you can get him if you want to the yeah. other job to, to do you know? Yeah, yeah for definitely, sure. it needs to be made more attractive to to young fellas and 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 and, and girls to go into trades. trades yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, how how do we go about doing that? I Make it more appealing, I'd say. Yeah, but you just mm. need to ed- educate people of. Of the potential, yeah. the benefits, yeah. and I mean, this year I noted we took on we took on a few interns from WIT. We do yeah. it every year. Um, some would be construction. There was two quantity surveyors, but there was two chaps that were studying electrical engineering. And when I got to sit with them and chat to them, and and they'd actually qualified as electricians, mm. uh, worked in the trade for a few years, and gone back to college um, to study electrical engineering. Very good. So. I just thought to myself, look at there's guys that are looking ahead, but somebody had probably to encourage them and say, listen, you have mm. potential, <coughs> you know, have a look at doing this. Well, listen, Sean, on that note, we'll, we'll have to leave it there. So thank you very much. And it was great talking to you and safe journey home tomorrow. Thank I have one much. final question I want to ask. When you're in the airport, will you be doing the obligatory tato shop and the, <laughs> the sausages and the rashers and all the, the things Irish to bring home with well, you? I can't do the sausages and rashers. Yeah, okay. Unless I do it surreptitiously and I yes. won't do that. The tatoes we can get in New York. Ah, oh, no. It's all ruined. That was yeah. one of the joys. Yeah. So Sean Halpin, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. And we're now going to play Sean's chosen song, which was One Starry Night by Sean Terrell. Can I mention Sean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Terrell was a great singer. He sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And the first time I saw him was up in the big tent on the shores of Loch Rainey with Druid Theatre doing the Midnight Court. Court yeah. yes. And uh, mm-hmm. I followed him over the years. He did a one-man show of the Midnight Court in Cahar House that I happened to be around for maybe in 2009 and saw that. And he used to come to New York occasionally and play in the bail book. But he's, nice. he was a great singer, great interpreter of song and a lovely musician as well. Very good. We'll, we'll play this song, so... Thanks so much.
One starry night As I lay sleeping One starry night As I lay in bed 